The origins of the kingdom of Rohan, longtime ally of Gondor, keepers of the white horses called the Meraz, and befuddled enemies of Saruman. Today we explore their history, which surprisingly has less to do with horses and plenty to do with ghosts. Welcome! In the Lord of the Rings podcast, we wander the world of J.R.R. Tolkien by exploring the foundational epic stories from the deep past of Middle-earth. If you enjoyed Tolkien's books, or maybe Peter Jackson's movies, or perhaps you're excited for Amazon Studios' new series, The Rings of Power, and you want to dive deeper into the rich world of Middle-earth, then listen and subscribe. Bagovangin, fellow wanderers! Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's check the map so that we know where we are for today's story. If none of this makes sense, feel free to listen to a previous episode or two to catch back up. We've been traversing the third age of Middle-earth as told in Appendix A to The Lord of the Rings. So far, we've covered the fallen kingdom of Arnor, the history of Gondor, and even strayed into a dream with the tale of Aragorn and Arwen. But there's one major kingdom of men that we haven't thoroughly explored just yet, the Kingdom of the Mark, or as Gondor called it, Rohan. Let's begin with Bilbo the Hobbit. When Bilbo, the dwarves, and Gandalf escape the orcs under the mountain, they are rescued by the eagles, who land them on a tall, narrow rock called the Karak. If you look at a map of Middle-earth, you'll find the Karak between the Misty Mountains and the Forest of Mirkwood far to the north. Over a thousand years before Bilbo would land on the Karak, a people had moved into the land. They had come from the eastern regions of Rovanion, far south of the Lonely Mountain. This people, while separate from Gondor, still considered themselves distant kin of their kings, through the king Eldakar. He was the king during the time of the kinstrife in Gondor that we discussed a couple of episodes back. These people, quote, loved best the plains, and delighted in horses, and in all feats of horsemanship. But the power of Dol Guldor was growing in the south, and when they heard of the fall of the witch-king of Angmar, they pushed further north, and drove away whatever remained of that evil kingdom. However, the land was narrow, and, quote, they had grown to be a numerous people. As we touched in our deep dive of Gondor history, a major invasion of men from the east and a major force of orcs from the mountains threatened the armies of Gondor, under the reign of the stewards. The stewards sent word to the king of this northern people, a man named Errol, quote, and late though it seemed, he set out with a great host of riders. Racing south, this host of riders aided the armies of Gondor on the field of Celebrant, a large plain south of Lorien, quote, all hope was lost when, unlooked for, the riders came out of the north and broke upon the rear of the enemy. The riders of the north scattered Gondor's enemies and pursued them far over the fields. The steward Kirion was so grateful to the riders from the north that he gifted them the land that had been known as Kalinardon. This region was sparsely populated by Gondor. Its borders were the Misty Mountains on the north, the River Anduin on the east, the White Mountains on the south, and the Sea on the west. The riders sent for their families and remaining people and settled into their newly gifted land, 
Quote, they named it anew the Mark of the Riders, and they called themselves the Aerolingas. But in Gondor their land was called Rohan, and its people the Rohirrim, that is, the Horse Lords. Their first king was Errol, and he chose, quote, a green hill before the feet of the White Mountains to be the capital of his new kingdom. They remained distinct from the kingdom of Gondor, but the two kingdoms swore a, quote, perpetual alliance with each other. This oath is actually a great tale that we won't get into today, but we'll get to that in a future episode. The Aerolingas, or Rohirrim, had many great legends in their past, even before they settled in Rohan. One of their ancient chieftains had slain a dragon and won great wealth, but the dwarves from whom the dragon had stolen demanded payment of the treasure. Instead, they received a necklace of the dragon's teeth, with this message, quote, Jewels such as these you will not match in your treasuries, for they are hard to come by. The dwarves took it as an insult, and, quote, There was no great love between Aeotheid and the dwarves. Now you see a little of the animosity that Aemer had for Gimli, many generations later, as portrayed in the Two Towers movie, quote, I would cut off your head, dwarf, if it stood but a little higher off the ground. Another ancient tale of the Rohirrim concerns Aerol himself and his father. His father was known for being able to tame wild horses, yet he eventually found his challenge, a white foal that grew quickly into, quote, a horse strong and fair and proud. This horse could not be tamed, though Aerol's father tried. Quote, when he dared to mount it, it bore him away, and at last threw him, and his head struck a rock, and so he died. Thus Errol became chieftain at the young age of sixteen. Errol vowed to avenge his father. He hunted for the horse, and when he found him, instead of slaying the horse as his companions thought he would, Errol stood and in a commanding voice bade the horse come to him. Then Errol said, Felaroth I name you. You loved your freedom, and I do not blame you for that, but now you owe me a great guild, and you shall surrender your freedom to me until your life's end. For our modern ears, a guild is an ancient concept wherein a person's life was equated to a monetary value, and could be paid as a recompense to a person's family if that person was killed. The horse submitted by allowing Errol to mount him, and he rode him without gear for the remainder of his life. The horse understood the language of men, but would allow none but the king or the king's son to ride him. The descendants of this great white horse were known as the Meras, and it is said that their ancient sire had been brought over the sea by the great hunter of the Valar, Orome. You are likely familiar with one of the Meras, the great horse Shadowfax, which bore Gandalf during the War of the Ring. Errol was the first king of Rohan. Let's fast forward to another king of Rohan that you have likely heard of, Helm Hammerhand, as in Helm's Deep. At the time of King Helm was another nobleman, Freka, who lived on the western reaches of Rohan. A tenuous mistrust grew between the two men, yet Freka grew powerful enough that he requested the hand of King Helm's daughter in marriage to his son. Helm refused, insulting Freka, calling him fat, quote, for he was wide in the belt. But Freka, in his pride and insolence, tried to insult Helm back, saying, quote, old kings that refuse a proffered staff may fall on their knees. After a council meeting, Helm took Freka outside and hit him with his fist so hard that Freka later died, hence Helm's nickname, Hammerhand. Four years later, a concerted effort by Rohan's enemies invaded his land. Corsairs on the west coasts, Freka's son on the north, and Easterlings from the east. Rohan was pretty much overrun. Helm took what people he could and made a refuge at the Hornburg, 
afterwards known as Helm's Deep, the same Helm's Deep where King Theoden would seek refuge as portrayed in the Two Towers. The winter that year was long, and the people began to be hungry. Helm would go out into the snow alone, dressed in white, and, quote, stalk like a snow troll into the camps of his enemies, and slay many with his hands. Before he would go on these solitary hunting excursions, he would blow a great horn, the blast of which his enemies soon began to dread. One night Helm blew the horn, went out, but did not return. In the morning he was seen frozen dead, still standing straight up in the snow. Yet it is said that, quote, the horn was still heard at times in the deep, and the wraith of Helm would walk among the foes of Rohan and kill men with fear. Helm's nephew became king, and when the winter was over and help from Gondor could finally arrive, they took the body of Helm and buried it in the ninth mound outside Edoras. The white flower, Simbelminye, a small stem of which Theoden holds as he mourns his son in the Two Towers movie, grew, quote, most thickly on Helm's mound, as if it were covered in snow. He was the last of his line, and when his nephew, the king, died, the Rohirrim started the second line of burial mounds. Not long after Helm's death, the wizard Saruman first came to Rohan. He gave gifts and praise to the Rohirrim. The steward of Gondor had given Saruman the keys to the tower Orthanc at Isengard, and the Rohirrim at first counted him a friend. However, quote, in this way Saruman began to behave as a lord of men, which was not exactly the purpose for which he had been sent. It was afterwards known that his intention in going to Orthanc was to claim the Palantir that was positioned there, quote, with the purpose of building up a power of his own. He fortified Orthanc, quote, as though to rival the Badadur, that was the enemy Sauron's own black tower in Mordor. He drew to him any, quote, who hated Gondor and Rohan, whether men or other creatures more evil. This was in direct violation of his instructions from the Valar, the powers that govern Middle-earth. They had sent Saruman, and Gandalf and the other wizards, to labor against Sauron, with a specific constraint that is outlined in Tolkien's book Unfinished Tales. They were, quote, forbidden to reveal themselves in forms of majesty or to seek to rule the wills of men or elves by open display of power. In the time of Theoden, Saruman was driven out of Orthanc. Yet Theoden died in the battle outside of Minas Tirith, so his nephew Eomer, whom Theoden had raised as a foster son, became king of the Mark after the War of the Ring. His sister Eowyn won great renown in the War of the Ring, having defeated the king of the Nazgul. After the war, she married Faramir of Gondor and dwelled with him in fair Ethelion. In King Eomer's time, the Rohirrim enjoyed peace in Rohan, and he became friends with King Aragorn, who had renewed the ancient oath of Kirion, cementing the friendship of Rohan and Gondor. Together they would often ride to battle, ridding Middle-earth of the remnants of Sauron's servants. Before we close out this wandering of Rohan, I have one more tale for you. A tale that begins with a rash vow spoken by a drunken prince, and ends with a lonely skeleton in darkness, and all connecting back to Sauron. We're not done yet. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share with your friends. And remember to subscribe if you haven't already. We'll be right back. You can be the hero of your own Marvel Comics adventure. Marvel Strike Force is an extraordinary mobile game 
a haven for comic book enthusiasts and gamers alike. Lead your own fellowship of heroes and villains to battle against the forces of darkness that threaten the very fabric of the universe. From the menacing Doctor Doom to the formidable Apocalypse, every battle is a chance to prove your mettle. And right now, Marvel Strike Force is commemorating its six-year anniversary. That means free rewards await those who heed the call and sign up today. With weekly events and bonuses, this anniversary celebration promises a treasure trove of special rewards. Rally your allies, sharpen your blades, and dive into the action of Marvel Strike Force today. Use code MAXPOOL to unlock free new treasures. That's code MAXPOOL, all one word, on the mobile game Marvel Strike Force. Now, back to wandering. The son of Errol the Young, first king of Rohan, was named Brego. Yes, they stole that name and gave it to Aragorn's horse in the movies. Brego had a son named Baldor. When the Golden Hall Medusaled at Edoras was completed, a great feast was held. Quote, at the feast, Baldor vowed that he would tread the paths of the dead and did not return. Brego died of grief the next year. Who was Baldor and what happened to him? The answer starts when Theoden tells Mary about the paths of the dead. He says that Brego and Baldor climbed into the mountains, looking for places of refuge for their people. That's how they first found the door. The story goes that an old man sat on the threshold who simply said, quote, The way is shut. It was made by those who are dead, and the dead keep it, until the time comes. The way is shut. Then the old man died before them. Later, Baldor, quote, Drained the horn at the feast which Brego made to hollow new-built Medusaled, and spoke with Theoden called, quote, a rash vow, to enter the paths of the dead. He was never seen again, and so the Rohirrim avoided that mountain, saying that, quote, dead men out of the dark years guard the way, and will suffer no living man to come to their hidden halls, but at whiles they may themselves be seen passing out of the door, like shadows, and down the stony road. However, Baldur's skeleton was found. When Aragorn dared to enter the paths of the dead, he found, quote, the bones of a mighty man. He had been clad in mail, and still his harness lay there whole, for the cavern's air was as dry as dust, and his hauberk was gilded. His belt was of gold and garnets, and rich with gold was the helm upon his bony head, face downward on the floor. The skeleton lay before a shut stone door. The bones of his fingers, quote, were still clawing at the cracks. A notched and broken sword lay by him, as if he had hewn at the rock in his last despair. Aragorn takes a moment to lament Baldur's despairing death, but before he passes he asks, quote, Through all the long years he has lain at the door that he could not unlock. Whither does it lead? Why would he pass? None shall ever know. This mysterious door that Baldur was so desperate to access has haunted me for years. I wanted to know, where does it go? I recently learned that Aragorn was wrong. We have a solid guess on what was behind that door, and it has to do with Sauron. Longtime listeners to this show have heard this before, and I think it bears repeating, especially as we wander the history of Rohan. I found a small footnote tucked away in an essay by Tolkien called The Rivers and Beacon Hills of Gondor which is published in Karl Hostetter's book, The Nature of Middle-Earth. As you can imagine, with that title about rivers and hills, 
The essay is a little dry and quite flat, but Tolkien often wandered in his essays, and in this one he wandered into what he called ancient religious structures, particularly religious structures which had been built by the men of darkness. The men of darkness were men of Middle-earth that Sauron had corrupted into worshipping Morgoth and the dark, and so convinced them to build temples for their worship. These temples, built under Sauron's influence, were, quote, often in caverns in secret valleys of mountain regions, such as the dreadful halls and passages under the haunted mountain beyond the dark door or gate of the dead in Dunharrow. This special horror of the closed door, before which the skeleton of Baldor was found, was probably due to the fact that the door was the entrance to an evil temple hall to which Baldor had come, but the door was shut in his face and enemies that had followed him silently came up and broke his legs and left him to die in the darkness, unable to find a way out. Isn't that chilling? We often associate Sauron with his great armies of orcs or powers of deception, or with his lidless, intimidating eye that sees nearly all things. And for all those reasons, we fear Sauron. But we forget that Sauron has been corrupting men to evil ways, even from the days of their first awakening. And in the darkness of the haunted mountain, a temple of evil had likely been built. Did Baldor, son of Brago from Rohan, know what was behind that door? Was he attempting to worship the dark? Or was he simply lost in the darkness? My friends, if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing with your friends. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram at Lore of the Rings Podcast. For feedback on the show, please email me using the link in the show notes. Until next Thursday, remember, not all those who wander are lost.